And I know that's super exciting, but uh, if you're like me, you probably, in the, in the videos, you spotted folks uh, in the videos from downtown, and so I want to kind of dispel any possible thought, like, oh, wow, 240 at Malden and 340 at Anderson, that was probably like, like it's a ton of folks from downtown. Just to show you how uh, the vast majority were new people, uh, last Sunday, now just let me back up just a minute, 2019, we were averaging around 2,200. This is pre-COVID, okay? So pre-COVID, we were averaging about 2,200 on a Sunday morning. And obviously through COVID, it has not been that. Last Sunday, we had 2,366 people on all five campuses. Isn't that awesome? We can praise God for that. Because all five campuses had, had teaching pastors. Downtown, it was Pat preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to whomever was there. And so we're grateful for that. God is doing some amazing things, not just in numbers of folks that are worshiping, but just in the unprecedented life change that's taking place. People are coming to Christ. Man, I'm I'm just super excited to be a part of this church. Would you go and take your Bibles, turn in, turn on your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Last Sunday, Brother Pat uh, preached from 1 Samuel 16 at least in part, and was uh, talking about this new series called The Crown. And uh, obviously, The Crown is a a series of six messages that are going to be about David. Now, David, obviously, in last Sunday's message and in this Sunday's message, is not yet a king, but we know, obviously, God's getting him ready. He's preparing him to be the king. And uh, last week, we talked about, in particular, He was an unlikely king. You know, it was by the providence of God that someone like David could even be selected. He was the least likely in his family, not just the least likely in his nation to be king. And so that was huge. Pat did a great job. This week we're talking about instead of God's providence, we're talking about God's power. And, uh, and we're going to fast forward to chapter 17 and talk about perhaps the most common story in the Old Testament. It's one that, well, I mean, if you've ever been to Sunday school, even as a child, you know the story of David and Goliath. And so the challenge with a familiar story is oftentimes we check out because we think we already know this story, right? So I really want to challenge you today. I, I want you to lean in and really, if you can... Really, really ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you today because I believe that he has a word for us where we are. Because we're in a unique moment in time, perhaps the most difficult and challenging season, I would say, of my life, but perhaps of all of our lives. We're walking through a difficult day that we're surrounded by challenge and difficulty and struggle. Stress, anxiety is at an all-time high and, uh, and, and we need to acknowledge and recognize that today that, that part, of the, part of the problem is we're ignoring the fact that we are primarily in a spiritual war. There's a spiritual battle that's taking place. And there are a lot of physical things that we see with our eyes. A lot of physical things that we hear with our ears. A lot of things we are experiencing and a lot of influences we are allowing to shape us that we need to dispel, we need to push away, and we need to be reminded of who God is in our lives because he's not changed, all right? He's not changed since 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, In verse 7 of chapter 16, I want to remind you of this kind of uh, summary passage where uh, Pat read last week, do not look on his appearance or on 
the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I think this is what we've got to be reminded of is that if we are distracted and if we become obsessed with external things, albeit really challenging and, and, and overwhelming, but if we allow those overwhelming things to define us and to shape us and to push us and influence us in a way that's away from the call of God, then what we've done is we've actually yielded to the enemy. We've got to remember not to be led by the things that are in our hands, but to be led by the one who is in our heart, because ultimately that is the measure of God. We're going to look, begin with in in chapter 17. Let's read verses 1 through 3 and kind of get the context and the setting of the story. It says in verse 1 of chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, Now the Philistines and the Israelites gathered their armies for battle. And the Philistines were on the mountain on the one side of the valley, and the Israel and Israel's army was on the mountain on the other side of the valley. So let's understand the context of the scripture. This is a battle. This is a war taking place. You've got one army on one mountain, you've got another army on another mountain, and they are about to do battle. And so this is, again, trying to draw a parallel. The Bible can never say what it never said. And so for not for a minute am I trying to say, okay, well, I'm going to put myself exactly in the shoes of David. No, this is a story of David and Goliath. But we can definitely glean New Testament application from an Old Testament story. And I believe that we're going to be able to do that if we'll all really pay attention to this well-known story. We're going to look at three reminders today, three reminders that we all need to uh, be aware of. First one, I'm going to go and give you the first one. If you've got your app, go and type it in. Here it is. The enemy is relentless. The enemy is relentless. In this story, you're going to, you're going to read it in a second. The enemy is relentless. But I want to remind you, in your life, the enemy is relentless. He is cold-hearted. He is after you, and he desires nothing but to destroy you. And so back to the story. Look at verse 4. And there came out of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders and the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head alone weighed 600 shekels of iron. Fast forward to verse 10 and the Philistines said, what did Goliath say to the army of God? I defy the ranks of Israel this day and he calls them out. If you can imagine this larger than life figure, he says, give me a man Give me a man that, that we may fight together. He, he's basically saying, bring it on. You know, give me your best. Don't hold back. Call up the, the grand slam, you know, the cleanup hitter. I, call, call your best and bring it because I'm about to do war against this man. So this is the enemy. This is Goliath in the story Uh, that we are reading. And and so uh, just a little detail is mentioned here. I want to kind of clarify just so we know what we're talking about. How tall was Goliath? That's a good question. Was he a giant? Well, the Bible, interestingly enough, doesn't call Goliath a giant. Now, if you're home, you can go and Google that real quick, all right? He doesn't, the Bible doesn't say Goliath was a giant. It doesn't say that. 
We, we, we call him that for good reason sometimes because he was a giant of a man for sure. The reason we need to draw that distinction is the Bible does actually use the word giant in other places and it has nothing to do with Goliath. Goliath was massive though. Why? Because it, it gives us the height. It says six cubits in a span. Guess what? That's nine and a half feet. Now you may say, well, I mean, does that really make him a giant? Let me just say this. Robert Wadlow uh, was verified as the tallest man in modern history, uh, the tallest man you can take a picture of and uh, look him up. Robert Wadlow he lived 1918 to 1940. He stood an impressive eight feet, 11 inches, but he was still shorter than Goliath, all right? So Goliath was a tall dude. But then the scripture gives us more specific measurements in the sense of the, the measurements of weight and, and, and lets us kind of have an idea of how big this guy really was. We need to remember 1,000 shekels equals 25 pounds. And so when we're talking about the weight of shekels, this is what it really comes to. The, the coat of Goliath that was mentioned in this passage would have weighed 125 pounds. Now, to put that in perspective, how many of you guys are, are, are familiar with something called a weighted blanket? Raise your hand. Yeah. For those who don't know what a weighted blanket is, it is something you put on you at night if you don't want to breathe while you're sleeping. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm serious. Now, Will, our oldest son, gave his mother a weighted blanket, and I'm grateful to God for one thing. It was a single bed weighted blanket because I'm telling you, Amy really loves it. I think she eventually felt like it injured her at night and she didn't use it so much anymore. But it, it like, it would suffocate me. Like some people feel like, oh, it just makes me feel so comforted. It makes me feel like I'm about to die. I'm serious. I'm like, I'm suffocating. I, I got to get out from under this blanket, you know? So, but that, listen, the average queen size weighted blanket is 15 to 20 pounds. 15 to 20 pounds. Put that in perspective. That's like, that's like seven times, okay, so the, the coat that, that Goliath wore seven or eight times as heavy as a queen-size weighted blanket. Now, that's heavy, bro. I'm talking about like coming at you with this. That's what he wore, all right, this, this coat of bronze that was weighty. And, and so we know he's nine and a half feet tall. We have no idea how many. They should have said that he weighed so many shekels. You know what I'm saying? Because this guy had to have been like three, four, five, six, six hundred pounds. I have no idea. You know, it's like that fisher, you know, fisherman story. You know, it's like, man, he was like, he was like fifteen hundred pounds. I don't know. But he had to have been huge because his coat was massive. His spear, look what it says. His spear, if you do the math, 15 pounds of the, the, just the, the spear head was 15 pounds. So just to put that in perspective, the average axe head is a pound and a half to two pounds. All right? So again, this is like massive. This is 10 times the weight of an axe head. That is the tip of his spear. And so Goliath was obviously a massive guy. But it wasn't just his countenance. It wasn't just his physical stature. That was huge. It wasn't just his presentation. Although it's pretty impressive to carry a 125-pound coat. It's pretty impressive to, to have a spear with, a, with a, the head of the spear to be 15 pounds. Massive dude. But, but even beyond that, it was, he, he was relentless. He was, he was like, he was like this, this warrior who would not stop. Look what the scripture says in verse 16. For 40 days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. He wouldn't stop. There was no stopping Goliath. 
He just continued to come to the front lines, yelling out insult after insult, continuing to bring it to them, to to attempt to do everything he could to cause them to cower down because this was a strategy. No matter what we want to say, no matter what else we believe about the story, here's what we know. Goliath was huge, so visibly overwhelming. Goliath had all of this armor and all this stuff that only the largest man in the valley could possibly carry. So that was impressive. Visibly overwhelmed. But then there's the also audibly. Man, he was, he was screaming. He was screaming and shouting insult after insult. His voice had to have been larger than life and causing everyone who heard it to cower down and, and to, to shake in fear. But even beyond that, he was coming back constantly. So even if you, you slept well during the night, you were going to wake up to the, to the shout of the enemy. And then after a day, perhaps it was a good day. Uh, you, you're about to, to turn in for the evening. Every evening, the enemy comes back and he shouts again. And so you just, there's no rest. No rest from fear. And that's really the second thing we need to remember We're reminded the enemy is relentless, but also, listen, fear is natural. Fear is a natural part of the human condition, and nobody has to convince you of that. The fact of the matter is, we we do become afraid sometimes. Listen, at different levels, I don't want to think for a minute that your circumstance is, is as bad as someone's circumstance over here, but let me just say this. Generally speaking, We've all experienced fear in the last couple of years. We've all experienced fear. It could, it could be even recently the activity uh, internationally in Afghanistan. And even, listen, we're, we're blessed to be Americans in a country where it is, it is rare that something like the events of the last couple of weeks happened where soldiers, men and women who represent us, who defend us, are are killed by terrorists. That, that is not a common thing, nor should it be. But here's what it, it does, if we're not careful, really produce fear in our hearts and our lives as things we feel have been secure and stable show signs, obvious signs of vulnerability and danger. So it produces fear. But then all the, the pandemic business. I mean, I mean we, we all have been exposed to so much from every side of every issue. And so, uh, you guys know, I I am intentional never to be political. If I even get political, I offend everybody, all right? I do that intentionally, all right? Because I don't want anybody to think I'm picking on it. But here's what I'm telling you. Right now, everybody's crazy. Amen? You know what I'm saying? Y'all know what? I'm I'm serious. If If you don't believe that, you have just demonstrated how crazy you are. Amen? Everybody's crazy right now. It's like you can't even, I mean, you can't even really have a conversation with anybody. Nobody. It's just, it's so tense. Everyone's on edge. Everyone is postured and ready to jump down your throat the minute they disagree with you. The minute they disagree. And and hey, if they disagree, you're canceled, buddy. You're unfriended. I wonder if anybody thinks that somebody's at home going, I just can't believe they unfriended me. I just, it broke my heart. You know, that's, here's the fact. We live in a culture, we live in a cancel culture for sure on both sides. Somebody might say, well, now it's people on this side canceling people. The fact of the matter is, before that, it was people on this side canceling people. Cancel cultures, is permeated everything that we do. 
And so what happens even in the Christian church is we cancel each other when we disagree. We disagree over doctrine, we cancel each other. We, we disagree over practical things, we cancel each other. So, so here's the thing. At the end of the day, we are afraid of so many things. COVID, vaccinations, political tensions, all of these things, the Delta variant. I mean, there are any number of things, masks, go to school, don't go to school. I mean, you name it. There, there's any number of opportunities for us to disagree and to become super afraid in the midst of an ever-changing context and environment of, of living. And so here's the thing that we, I think we're naive about and we just lose sight of is that we, we sometimes think maybe the, the enemy is just like somewhere else and we're just, we're just doing this and he just is unaware. The enemy is ever aware of your vulnerability. In fact, much of our response to this whole situation is because he is, he is on the other side of the valley and he is screaming out, I defy your God. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to eat your lunch. Why don't you send your best man? Bring your man. I'm going to, I'm going to kill him in front of you. So we hear the voice of the enemy. And instead of actually remembering that we've got a God bigger than Goliath, we cave. We do like Saul. You're going to have to go back and read some of it yourself because we don't have time to read the whole chapter. But listen, we do like Saul. We run to our own tent and we shake in our boots. We do like these, these men in Israel we're going to read about who are just so afraid. They're so afraid they don't know what to do. Is because they've gotten their eyes off of the God of Israel and they're, they're focused their eyes and their ears on the enemy of Israel. So they're overwhelmed and consumed by what they can't do in complete ignorance of what their God can do. And see, here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid we come to church and we sing all these songs about what God can do, right? It's not a mountain that he can't move, right? I mean, we love singing that stuff. And then on Monday, we wake up and we hear the giant's voice and we run and we stick our head in the sand. So it's just... So I'm not saying let's go to church and sing good songs. I'm saying let's live like people who have a God that's bigger than the enemy. Because that is the God that you serve. And so here's, here's the thing. We've got to hurry up or I'm going to preach 55 minutes. All right, so work with me. You've got to listen fast this morning, all right? So the enemy is relentless and fear is natural. Look what it says. Goliath was, was larger than life. Remember in verse 11, it says that Saul and Israel were dismayed and what does it say? Greatly afraid. Saul and all of Israel, you see the terminology? All of Israel were, were dismayed and greatly afraid. But then there's this little shepherd boy. Somehow he had not got the memo that God was not big enough to beat Goliath, right? And so in verse 23, it says, he talked with, David talked with his brothers. He brought a little sack lunch, probably some, some Subway or maybe some firehouse subs, whatever. And so he brought, he brought his uh, brothers some, some, little, some lunch and, and all that. And his, his brothers, man, they were not happy with him. As he talked to his brothers, behold, the champion, the Philistines uh, of, of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and he spoke the same words as before. So important. David is about to hear the same words that caused Saul and all of Israel to be afraid. All right. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. And so he, he heard the same words as 
before. I've got to find it. Thank you. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man? I mean, it's like, this dude's big, you know? Have you seen this man who comes up? Look at verse 26. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? David's chalet looked that this should defy the armies of the living God. And so David's going to people and he's trying to challenge them. He's trying to say, look, we, we've got a God who's bigger. And what happens? Everybody rallies around him and thinks he's the greatest thing ever. No, look at verse 28. Eliab, his oldest brother, got mad at David and he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Isn't that like a sibling? What an encouraging word, right? Those few sheep, those little sheep. Who's, who's keeping your little sheep out in the wilderness, right? I know your presumption and the evil in your heart. David, you, you've got bad motives. You just come down here to see the battle. You're just in the way. Why don't you go back to your insignificant job? Why don't you go back to your, your little sheep and let us men handle this? Well, the truth was, those men were a bunch of uh, wimps, all right? They were, they were afraid. They didn't want to fight. And so they were hiding. And so they were threatened by a, a young man who actually is kind of uh, described as a pretty boy in a way, right? David was like this pretty boy. And so they were threatened by this confident, young, uh, small and stature man. And so, so they were upset. And this, this, this is true. This is what fear does. I want you to think about it for a minute. Fear can come from two sources. Fear can come from two sources. And if you don't get anything else, there's a couple of things I'm going to point out. This right here is important. Listen, fear can come from personal experience and it can come from external influences. This is for all of us. Fear can come from personal experience and it can come from external influences. All of these Israel, Israel the army of Israel, all these men, all of Israel were afraid. They were afraid because of their personal experience. They had heard, they had seen, they had witnessed a nine and a half foot dude, right? Decked out in some armor that weighed more than they could carry. And they didn't know what to do. So they were, they were terrified, terrified. Their personal experience caused them to be afraid. But isn't it interesting David had the same experience. It said that that Goliath came out and said the same thing. And David heard it. And when David heard it, he did not run into the tent and stick his head in the sand. David said, put me in, coach. David said, I want to fight him. I want to fight him. And it's important for us, if we get lost in, in this part of the story, we would, we would miss the point. David never thought he could fight him because he was big enough. Even though he tries to give examples in a minute when he's trying to convince Saul to let him fight. He, he's always saying, God can do it. God can do it. Look, this, this enemy of ours is defying our God. God will give me strength. God will deliver me. God will empower me to do what he's called me to do. And so at the end of the day, the summary of the entire six weeks of this series is this. Look, the crown was never David's. The crown was never David's. 
We're talking about the crown. And David is going to be the king eventually. But the reason God elevated him, the reason why in God's providence he became the king is because he was a man after God's own heart. He recognized that he was an imperfect man. And in this case, a very weak man. Yet God could use him because he had confidence in the God was greater than his enemy. And so verse 11 says that Saul and all of Israel were dismayed. They were greatly afraid. Their personal experience resulted in an overwhelming, debilitating fear. And in large part, this is the church of Jesus Christ in 2021 in the United States of America. There are so many of us, if not all of us at times, who are allowing our personal experience to overwhelm us and to debilitate us so that we are bound by the fear that's around us. But even if we conquer the, uh, the uh, personal experience, here's another thing that comes at us. Uh, it's the external influences. Because uh, the truth is, everybody was saying, have you seen this man? I mean, nobody likes to be afraid alone. We like to spread the fear. And even if it's unconscious, we, we love to share bad news. It's so crazy how people don't share good news, but they love to share bad news. And, and so oftentimes when we are overwhelmed, we want other people to be overwhelmed too. And we've talked about this in recent days. Part of the problem, Philippians 4 points it out, is that we're busy sharing things and we don't even necessarily always check to see if it's even true. Even though Philippians 4 tells us, Paul says, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are just, lovely, think on these things. And so what has happened? Well, because of fear, we've given ourselves over to be consumed, to be obsessed with bad news. Man, if we don't see bad news on the first view of our headlines, we dig deeper. It's like we have become addicted to bad news. We've become addicted to hearing the shout of the enemy from across the valley. And we love to go share the bad news with other people And so it's not just personal experience that we battle. We also battle the external influences of of other negative things that pour into our life. The truth is, fear is contagious. And no one likes being afraid alone. And so we we constantly hear, have you seen this man? Have you seen, did you read this article? Did you see that video? Did you hear this news? We love to share it. So we often unconsciously and other times consciously cause fear in other people. While we are in the world, here's the fact of the matter, we're never going to have a day where we don't have an enemy. While this side of heaven, there's never going to be a day where, where the enemy, Satan himself, is not doing everything he can to derail the work of Jesus Christ in this country and around this world. You are his enemy and he hates you. And so while everyone else was buckled in fear, go back to the story, David remembered that God's power delivers. So there was a massive distinction in his response. Everybody else was afraid. David doesn't seem afraid at all. Now, I don't think this means David was was foolish, all right? So it doesn't mean that David ignored the facts, all right? Let's be balanced because David didn't go and arm wrestle Goliath, amen? David didn't go and fist fight Goliath, right? That would have been foolish, that would have been absurd. That would have been crazy. Oh, but God, hey, faith over fear, right? So if David really had faith, he'd just gone and fist fight him. No, he would have been crazy. He would have been foolish. And so understand, 
just because you have faith doesn't mean you don't have a brain or you don't need to use your brain. And so don't misunderstand. Faith over fear means that you know that God is greater than any obstacle you face. God is greater than any enemy you face. He's also given us logical reasoning to do the right thing. He's also called us by the power of his Holy Spirit to have confidence that even when we do the math and it looks like we're going to lose, we still do what God says. Because here's the thing. The loser in the story was not the little shepherd boy with the sling and a stone, right? The loser in the story was the man with all the armor, the nine and a half foot tall guy that everybody else was afraid of. So instead of running from the danger in fear, David ran toward the danger in faith. David did everything possible to get in this fight. I mean, he goes to Saul, look at verse 36. He says, your servant struck down both a lion and a bear. Hey, and this Philistine, he, he's gonna be like one of them. In other words, he's saying, man, put me in. I have done this kind of stuff before. I have fought. God delivered me then. He's going to deliver me now. Look at verse 37, exactly what he said. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I want you to say this with me. The, door, the Lord who delivered me will deliver me. The Lord who delivered me will deliver me. Say it with me. The Lord who delivered me will deliver me. Now, I know that's super simple and you're like, what? What are you saying? I'm saying David recognized that the God who was is the God who is. You know, the God who had, has done it before is the God who will do it again. Now, that doesn't mean again that we just be naive and foolish. No, but it means that we absolutely have an unshakable faith in the God who has called us to this fight. That God has anointed us for this moment and so in this chaotic, crazy nation, in this moment of time, this season that is unprecedented. Listen, you may be at home, you're like, what is this preacher saying? Look, this is a moment where I'm afraid that a whole lot of Christians have lost sight of the opportunity. And so in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the craziness, in the midst of the confusion of the day, we're allowing the voice of the giant. We're hearing it. We're, we're allowing the, the sight of the giant to overwhelm us. And we have lost sight. We've forgotten that our God is bigger than the enemy. There's no reason for you to shake in your boots. There's no reason for us to cower down. There's no reason for us to run to the tent. There's no reason to stick our head in the sand. Our God is bigger than Goliath. David recognized this. He said, the Lord who delivered me will deliver me. So, so what can we learn about these details in the story? Got to be quick. We've heard this a thousand times. We've heard the story a million times. Listen to 1 Peter 5, 8. Very common scripture. He comes like a roaring lion. Speaking of the devil. The enemy comes like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now I want you to think for just a minute. The enemy comes like a roaring lion, not a cute kitty cat. Amen? Doesn't say that. So, so the enemy's not going to come like a snowflake. The enemy's not going to come like an easy day. He's going to be a giant. He's going to be a Goliath. He's going to have a voice. The enemy's going to have an appearance that shakes you to your core. And so we understand this is, this is how the enemy works. Now, that's not to say that the devil doesn't use attractive tactics. Sin is attractive. Temptation is seductive. 
But the enemy's actions are generally centered around two different tactics. On the one hand, he has a goal to produce pride in your life. And on the other hand, he wants to produce fear in your life. It's one of the two. He wants to produce pride or fear. In two weeks, we're going to talk about David's sin with Bathsheba. That was pride in the heart and the life of David. Today, we're talking about victory and overcoming the fear that he could, have, he could have given himself over to. He could have done like everybody else in Israel, but he chose not to. He had faith over fear. So the goal of the enemy is to produce pride and fear in our lives. But don't miss the parallel of 1 Samuel and 1 Peter, because I believe this is so important for us today, surrounded by all the noise that, that shakes us to our core. I can't tell you. I, so many people I talk to all the time are just like overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed by our circumstances. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to feel. Listen, Goliath rose up like a roaring champion. But you got to remember, he fell like a defeated fool. He did not win this fight. Peter points out the enemy is coming after us like a roaring lion. And so we're going to hear his voice. We are going to see how he is larger than life. And it's going to overwhelm us. But the roar of a lion never hurt anyone. So we've got to remember the devil is loud. But at the end of the day, the devil is going to lose. Amen. I mean, it's not we who are the losers. We're the ones who are going to win the fight. And so in this moment, in this day, in this week, you don't need to be a Saul. You don't need to be a, a man of Israel who is cowering down in the midst of uncertain times. God's calling us to be like David. What happened in David? Let's fast forward real quickly to verse 50. An unknown shepherd boy wins a battle in unlikely fashion. David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. <laughs> David prevailed over Goliath with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine, and he killed him. But I want you to look what it says next. There was no sword in the hand of David. There was no sword in the hand of David. Everybody had all kind of advice for him. Here's what you need to do. Here's where you need to go. And it didn't even seem on the surface to be bad advice. I mean, armor's what you wear when you fight Goliath, right? I mean, take the king's sword. There's no better sword than the king's. But what did David say? I can't go with these. I can't use them. God's called me to use a sling and a stone. I know it's crazy. That's what he's called me to do. So, so there, was not, there was not a sword in the hand of David. What's the point? David's power was in his heart, not in his hands. See, David was a man after God's own heart. And we're going to read more and more about that in the weeks to come. But, but today, no matter what you're facing, no matter what your circumstances, man, can we pray together that God would give us the strength and the confidence to stand in front of that giant, to stand in front of our Goliaths, no matter what they may be, discouragement, depression, fear, uncertainty, political tension, health concern, job situation, family crisis, no matter what it is. Would you acknowledge today that your God is bigger than your enemy and he is faithful to take care of you? Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for your word. I'm so thankful for every man and woman, boy and girl in this room. God, we know this. You're bigger. God, you're bigger than any obstacle we face. You're bigger than any enemy who ever screams out at us. And you are better than any temptation 
we will ever face. So Lord, today, I pray you would remind us of the things that we really have already been taught, that we can trust you. We can trust you in the midst of the difficult time, trust you in the midst of the battle. No matter how loud Goliath is, God, I pray you would help us stand in strength and fight your battle. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me?